People in Congress, they're in the business of competing with one another to get elected. The same congressman will vote for a different thing if he thinks that's politically profitable. You don't have to change Congress. People have a great misconception in this way. They think the way you solve things is by electing the right people. It's nice to elect the right people, but that isn't the way you solve things. The way you solve things is by making it politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right things. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I am the co-host of this program, if it's your first time listening. I am, however, by myself again today, and I've been by myself for a few weeks now. Now, don't worry about Charlie. He's going to be fine. But he did just take a little bit of a personal break for a minute. Him and I are good. There's no crazy controversy going on. I still talk to him on the phone like two hours a day. And I think he's going to be back uh, pretty soon. So keep him in your thoughts and have kind words for him when he does come back. But this is Good Morning Liberty, where we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meeting every single day of the week when we want to. And if you want to come hang out, because I need some more friends, just as many friends as possible in this group, go to joingmail.com. Six bucks a month gets you in to watch the live show every day. So we're going to talk a little bit about the midterm election coming up we got a little bit more time i'm sure stuff is just going to get crazier and crazier before that happens i still think that the that they'll actually try to charge trump with some stuff there's not enough trump going on right now and so i i am expecting something like that uh elon musk is supposedly taking over twitter tomorrow by 5 p.m i'm sure that will happen one way or another i did however buy some puts on twitter today just in case the government does come in and pause the purchase for a couple weeks so they can review it for national security purposes and push back him taking over before the midterm elections. We will see. Before we talk about the midterm elections, we're going to talk about what came out in the economy today, which was the Q3 GDP number, the first reading. We'll get a few more of those, a couple more of those. So we got the GDP number, and it was plus 2.6%. Plus 2.6. The the estimate was going to be plus 2.4. And we got plus 2.6. So that means we're all good, right? Everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. There's no recession. You see, the Democrats told you that we were not in a recession. Everything is fine. This is the greatest economy you've ever seen. Look at the jobs numbers. So many new jobs have been created over the last couple of years. Yeah, stuff got a little bit expensive, but once we get some windfall profits taxes or something like that, or we switch over the solar panels, everything's going to be fine there too. So there's nothing to worry about. In fact, we got a tweet here from at POTUS, President Biden, whoever it is that actually tweets from his account while he's asleep. He said, for months, doomsdayers have been arguing that the U.S. economy is in a recession and congressional Republicans have been rooting for a downturn. But with today's third quarter GDP report, we got further evidence that our economic recovery is continuing to power forward. So we did get the positive GDP. Typically, your recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, which we did have. And all I wanted to do here, I'm not going to 
pretend like I know exactly what's going to happen. Charlie and I were talking about this a little while ago. We said, well, we can't keep this going. Like stuff is going to collapse. And I said, ah, we really don't know how long they can kick the can down the rope. We, we really don't. They could kick the can down the rope and leave this on the next people that are in power. But I would caution people that are on the left and the president uh, before they spike the football on this and see and say, hey, see, no recession. Everything's fine. We got one reading of the third quarter GDP and it was positive. So we're not in a recession. I'm not claiming to know what's going to happen, but I did just want to show you guys something. You know, I love going through data. You know, I like looking at charts and I just wanted everyone to be aware. What we did was we dipped negative for a couple quarters and now we've spiked back up into the positive. That happened in June of 2008 where we had just dipped negative to the exact point that we just recently dipped negative to. And then we spiked back up almost to the exact point that we just spiked back up to. And what happened afterwards? Well, after that spike back up, everything went to hell. The market dropped another 50% after that. And we were definitely in a recession. That was your housing financial crisis. 2001, we dipped down to almost the point that we just dipped down to. And then it spikes back up into the positive territory. June 2001, that's when we spiked back up. What happened after that? The markets dropped another 50% when the number shot back down into the negative territory afterwards. There's just some, you know, all, all I'm cautioning is spiking the football on this for people. I'm trying to be nice. I'm being generous here. 1970. Now we dipped down to the point that we, uh, that we just came down to. Actually, it spiked back up. What happened after that? You see, I'm not just cherry picking numbers. What happened after that? The market went up 35%, even though the GDP did turn around and go back negative afterwards. 1973, we dipped down to the point that we just dipped down to and then it spiked back up. What happened after that? The market dropped 35% afterwards and we had our terrible, terrible 70s that our parents remember, I guess, and grandparents. So what I'm saying is we don't know exactly what's going to happen. When you look at everything in the economy and around the world, all the stuff that's going on, I would tend to lean towards the negative because how the heck else is something... Is something else going to happen? We'll see. The dollar is strong enough relative to other currencies right now. It's not strong for us. It's strong relative to other currencies. They might be able to do a little bit more printing or slowdown on their tightening at least. Here's the other thing about the GDP number before we move on to the midterm conversation. Uh, from Market Watch, they talked about how the GDP looks good, but it actually wasn't. Why is that? Because the only things that accounted for that number going up were government spending and the fact that our exports increased from some pretty terrible numbers. And the bulk of it was actually government spending. And they count that in GDP. And so if you remove the government spending, we actually just had another negative quarter. So that's not good. And even MarketWatch called that out. And I didn't actually didn't even think about it until I saw this article come across. So no, we are not out of the woods yet. We do still need to have sound money and a good fiscal policy. And we need to stop stealing money from people and setting it on fire afterwards. Doesn't mean that we can just keep doing what we've been doing, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. How about those midterms though? They're coming up. Who's gonna win? I don't know. Don't really care, to tell you the truth. 
I really don't. That's why we don't talk about the uh, midterm elections coming up very much and what Oz said and what Walker said and what's the accusation and what Fetterman tried to say and what Carrie Lake said and all that. We really don't talk too much about that because honestly, none of it matters. We get the same thing regardless of who's in power. Maybe a little bit less bad when Republicans are in office on some things, but it's not as if everything's just fine and dandy when we get Republicans in power either. Right now, uh, according to 538, and this was updated today, they're still technically giving Democrats the highest odds of keeping the Senate, winning the Senate, and Republicans are heavily favored to win the House. I'm fine with that if that happens. Gridlock is a good thing. Uh, I, I, I made the argument a few weeks ago, actually, that I think that that's the best option because I don't know if I'm a Republican strategist. Uh, I don't. I don't want to appear to have more power than I actually do. I, but I do want to. I do want to stop some bad things from happening, or maybe more spending from happening. But I don't want to appear to have more power than I actually do. And so, since you aren't going to get anything passed that you try to pass anyway, since it really doesn't matter, you get one. You get the house. And you can block some bad legislation from going through. And then you can still talk about, well, we don't have both chambers. We, uh, we don't have the presidency vote for us in 24. That's what I would actually want to fire a Republican strategist is just getting one of these things. So you can create some gridlock afterwards. Before we get into all that stuff, this Fetterman Oz debate, and don't worry I'm not going to play any clips from the debate. I have avoided every one of those that I possibly could. I've accidentally heard a couple things when I was listening to some other podcasts. And I just have to tell you that I, I, um, I feel really, I feel bad for the guy and I feel bad for where we are as a country. And I get pretty mad when I see what the media is doing with this now and, um, yeah, let's just go into this MSNBC article. Weirdly enough, a lot of the articles I found today were from MSNBC. I don't know why that happened. But here's what's going on now. Listen, the guy had a stroke. We know that. On a personal note, uh, my, my mom has had a, had a couple strokes. And she went through some tough times after having those. And as a lot of time went on, she recovered from them. So I'm not saying that Fetterman can't recover from it. And if we have more information, the extent of the damage that was done, is it just with his speaking or is it actual cognitive abilities as well? Uh, that would be useful information to know. And you don't always recover from damage after a stroke. Oftentimes, you're never the same again. Some people don't recover much at all. And some people make a full recovery and you never know. So... At this point, we just really don't know what's going to happen. But don't worry. The media's taking this and running with it. This actually came out before the debate, but they, MSNBC reposted it after the debate. And they said disabled Americans have the right to be represented and most importantly to work. And that includes working for the U.S. government. And the article's talking about how Fetterman's Senate campaign is a teaching moment. So now we've moved into this realm where if you talk negatively about Fetterman and his inability to speak and possibly think clearly, that's ableist. And you're actually just putting down disabled people. 
Now, according to him up to this point, like there is, you know, he, he's not out here fighting for disabled people. He's not a disabled person. He had a stroke and he's going to recover fully from it and everything's going to be fine. But now he's become this champion for disabled people, according to the media. Once again, a little bit gross. Let's go through some of the article. They say when Oz, the Republican nominee, was trailing his opponent in polls and fundraising a few weeks ago, he resorted to a desperate tactic to get the upper hand, leveraging ableism against the person with disabilities. If having a stammer, I'm going to skip around in this article a little bit. If having a stammer or hearing impairment disqualifies someone from running or holding office, are we living up to the promise of democracy and government by the people? Once again, if you attack Fetterman, it's not just ableist, you're actually against democracy, and this is part of democracy dying, of course. President Biden's stutter has been the subject of ridicule and has been used to discredit him, but don't we want children with speech challenges to grow up knowing they can aim for any job, even the presidency? Biden did have a stutter that he, reco- that he recovered from. Ironically, had a trouble had trouble saying that. Uh, this is kind of rubbing off on me right now. I apologize. I don't think that's what he's going through right now. This is called dementia, and that's okay. He's super old. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Old people get dementia. Uh, that's fine. We don't have to hide it. Maybe they shouldn't be the president, though. Just saying. Whatever. Disabled Americans have the right to be represented and, most importantly, to work. And that includes working for the U.S. government. An employer wouldn't be allowed to refuse to hire a person because they have a hearing or speech difference. So why is it acceptable when it comes to holding office? What just a great, really great point. I will, however, say, and I will explain this just a little bit more later on. When it comes to a job like this, see, here's part of your job. You do things that affect the entire world's economy and well over 7 billion people while doing it. That's a pretty important job. Now, that should not be part of the job. The government shouldn't be involved in all the things that it's involved in. But he's running to become one of 100 people that make those decisions on things that affect the entire world. I don't think that this is the same thing as whether or not uh, a disabled person could uh, get a job at a, at a store or at any job, an office job or whatever. I don't think it's the same thing at all. But once again, I don't know if it's a speaking problem or if there's actual cognitive problems. I, I don't know which one it is. People with disabilities are one of the most underrepresented populations in local and federal government. Do you see the train we're jumping on now? This is the new victim cause to try and use to get what you want in the situation. You don't have to look far to understand why when demeaning and discriminating them based on their disability is the accepted status quo. News outlets shouldn't be endorsing the idea that someone who has a speech or hearing impairment is less fit to serve. They should be questioning that logic. Replace disability with any other identity and the prejudice is clear. You see, if you have a disability that actually leads to you physically not being able to do something, that's prejudice if people think that maybe you shouldn't be doing that thing. I'll leave that up to you guys to the side. People with disabilities aren't just underrepresented as lawmakers, they're also underrepresented in the electorate. 
people with disabilities are underrepresented in the electorate. Many want to vote, but face logistical hurdles like inaccessible polling places. You, we've literally always had mail-in balloting for people who couldn't get to polling places. Like, that's, that's just always been a thing. Plus, I'm pretty sure it's illegal for a place to not be accessible. But I don't know. 11% of disabled voters report having difficulty voting. Disabled people are also more likely to live in poverty, have less education and less employment opportunities, which all, which all contribute to less political engagement. So in many ways, ableism becomes a self-reinforcing cycle. When people with disabilities can't run or aren't, oh, that's poor wording there, or aren't getting elected, ableism is left unchecked. The kind of reform that lawmakers with disabilities could institute doesn't happen largely because there's no pipeline to holding office. No wonder we're so behind when it comes to disability policy. The very people who have those experiences are shut out of holding the kind of office that would allow them to actually change things. But if people with disabilities voted at the same rate, there would be 1.75 million more voters. And one way to support disabled voters would be to have them represented in our government. And once again, when did Fetterman announce that he was here to represent disabled people? All I've heard so far was that he was that everything was fine. Yeah, he's got some problems speaking, but that's going to get worked out. He's going to recover and everything's going to be fine. Now he's a person who's running to represent disabled people. This is just a new cause that they're trying to attach people onto. There are many reasons besides Oz's blatant ableism that make this tight race even tighter. Campaigns are ratcheting up the attack ads as election day approaches, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that disabled Americans shouldn't be scorned from running for office. They should be encouraged to. And I just, if you do want to call him disabled, okay, if, we, if we're going to say that, and he does have a speaking problem for sure, we don't know what else is going on. This also is not a guy who grew up disabled or handicapped, or handicapable, or whatever you want to call it. This is not that guy. This just happened to him. He had a stroke, all right? That's not the same thing. He's not having the same experience that people have lived their entire lives going through. He doesn't understand it hardly any more than anyone else. <laughs> can make a terrible joke right there. No, he does not understand it any more than anyone else because he's only been disabled for a short amount of time. That's a different situation. And... Once again, T-Dub said he's not calling himself disabled the whole time. This has been, everything's fine. Everything's fine. He's recovered. He's doing great. He's not saying, I'm disabled and I want to be the representative for disabled people. This is just another victim group. An important victim group. I mean, people are disabled. That's, you know, that's not a choice. There's no choice there to be made. Not that you shouldn't care for people that did make bad decisions, but I think we can all agree uh, that there's a bit of a difference there. But that's not what he's running for. This is just a tactic to try and win because people are rightly pointing out that this is a pretty big job that requires a lot of work, a lot of talking, a lot of working with other people. And maybe it's important that someone is actually mentally able to do the job. Now, we've set a bad precedent by having some of the presidents that we have had in the past and that we have right now, I guess. Well, clearly right now. So I get that. Well, let me tell you some of my thoughts on the matter. Here's what bothers me so much about it. You know, I haven't seen the movie 
Idiocracy in a long time, and I've only seen it once, but I, if they didn't have all of the representatives and all the people working for government as mentally handicapped people, then that was a really big missed opportunity for that movie. And you can let me know if they did, in fact, have that in there, but that would be a perfect sequel. Because now I'll tell you what, when I think about that, I'm kind of encouraged because that might be the, our best opportunity. I'll try and refrain from some of these, uh, some, some of these jokes, but why shouldn't it matter whether or not someone can actually do this job? I, I really think that it, I really think that it should matter whether or not someone could actually do this job. But if it doesn't matter whether or not a specific candidate can physically or mentally perform these duties, then what is the point? What's the point of even having the candidates? Why even have people running? Is it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, disabled people should have access to the same jobs, but you shouldn't only get them. You should only get them if you're, if you're the best option. Because even if you're disabled, we're all still individuals, so you don't deserve it any more than anyone else does. So you want the person that can perform the task in the best manner possible to actually get that job. And the problem is the reason that it actually doesn't matter that Fetterman is disabled or that Herschel Walker would be considered the antichrist by Republicans if he had a D next to his name. The reason it doesn't matter is because these people are just placeholders for the people that actually make these decisions. As, as long as any of these candidates can put an X on, on the paper to make their mark, or if they can blink once or twice to signal yay or nay, that's, that's all that matters. And in fact, it's probably preferable for the people who really make the decisions about what's going on. And we already talked about it a little bit, but not to mention just like what's going on with Biden right now. I mean, it's, it's getting pretty sad to watch Biden. And we've all had relatives that went downhill when they got really old. It's getting really sad to watch this happen. Biden's not here anymore. He's an old man that has dementia. He has good moments and he's got a whole lot of really terrible moments also. And Fetterman is a stroke victim, a stroke victim. The people around him should have told him to drop out, if anything, to prevent him from having future strokes because the stress of this job is going to put a lot of pressure on his brain. But it doesn't matter because he's just another pawn on the board. That's it. I mean, look at how far downhill the government has gone. The, the candidates literally don't matter anymore. It, if it, I really mean it. The candidates don't matter. If that, if, if that wasn't already obvious to you, here's what you're doing. People are voting for either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. The name next to the R and the D are just inconveniences. That's it. All you're looking for is the R or the D. No one actually voted for Joe Biden. They voted for the D. And really, all the ballot had to say was either just a D or it could have said not Trump D in, in parentheses. That's all it had to say. No one actually voted because they liked Biden. Okay, maybe a few people did. I don't know. So, so what, do we, what do we do in here? What are we actually doing? Do, do these people work for us or do we work for them? To quote Judge Knapp, 
I think it's becoming really clear that we work to provide these people with money so they can spread it out to the people that help them get their power and their jobs. That's what we're doing. That's the game that we're playing right now. Because nothing they do actually helps people get out of their terrible situations, right? We're not safer. I'm 35. We've been at constant war since I was a sophomore in high school. And right now we're closer to the nuclear war than we've ever been in my lifetime. We work for those in power in the government and those that are the immediate beneficiaries of the money that they take from us. That's, that's what we're working for. And honestly, I'm getting real sick of it. But here's the other part that is frustrating. It's not even their fault. There's a reason that I started with the Milton Friedman clip on the podcast. It's not even their fault. They respond to incentives. And as a country, we have become fixated on this idea that we're going to be able to get something for nothing, that we're going to be able to get stuff for free. We're going to be able to create things out of thin air and that we're not going to have to work for it. We talk about responsibility a lot on the show and we, maybe not the people listening to this show, but we as the populace, we have responsibility. Like Friedman said in the beginning of the podcast there, um, these people that are in office, they'll vote for anything. They'll vote for anything that keeps them in power. And so why do they vote for the things that they vote for? Because we let them do it. And a lot of times we tell them to do it because we want something for nothing. And so, yeah, I'm upset about what the government's become, but I'm equally or more upset about the fact that they are who they are. We have the people that we have because of the people in the U.S., and maybe they came in and they poisoned the education system and people had good intentions to start off with and just this big cycle is going on right now. But none of this is going to change until the people change. Republicans get in power. Who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change. A libertarian gets in office. We get a libertarian president. It's not going to matter. Jeez, dude would get assassinated in the first week. It doesn't matter because the people aren't ready for that. When the people are ready for that, there'll be a libertarian in office. When the people are ready for that, there'll be a, a Rand Paul in office or some kind of a fiscal conservative in office. We're not ready for that because we're addicted. We're addicted to the heroin right now. We just want more of it. We just want more. And whoever says they're going to give more, that's the person who ends up getting in office. Republicans win this election. You think they're actually going to fix anything? You guys remember how many times they voted to repeal Obamacare? Well, I'm going to throw out a random number, but I could just say five. It's probably more than that. At least five times they voted to repeal Obamacare when they didn't have a Republican president that, that could actually do anything about it. It was just a big fake virtue signal. What happened when they actually got the White House? They vote to repeal Obamacare at that time? They would say, well, they didn't have a filibuster-proof majority. Well, great, you weren't going to get it passed the other time either. They're not actually going to do anything to solve the problem because the people don't actually want them to solve the problem because the people are scared and they want the safety net and they want that fake security of the government taking care of all of this. And like Friedman said at the beginning, you don't have to change out the people that are in the government. 
This is just all of the, this is the people getting what they wanted or what they deserve. And it's not you guys that are listening. You know, I, I know that you're all trying. You're trying by listening to, to me rant right now. And I thank you for it. Sorry for being all doom and gloom about stuff, but I just hate putting so much focus on these elections. And I really want this idea to take hold. And I know that you guys get it. Um, this has to be a social change. This has to be a change in the populace. And it can't be forced. You're not just going to get the right person in office and, and they're going to institute liberty. Because if the people don't want it, they'll be knocked out in two or four or six years. So before we work on just changing around the government, sure, if you want to get Republicans in as a backstop against even more spending, they'll still spend a lot. But if you want a backstop against even more spending, we get that, made that argument before in the past, but it's not going to change our society. It's not going to change people. That's going to come from us. That's going to be, that's going to come from your conversations with your friends and with your family and maybe even on social media, possibly. That's really all I had to say on the midterm election thing. I was supposed to have this up while I was talking about it. New York Times piece, Fetterman versus Oz is not really Fetterman versus Oz. And that's the truth. It's not. It's R versus D. It's all, it doesn't matter who's up there. You can throw anyone in there. It doesn't matter. And we're proving that more and more right. Let's talk about some of these junk fees. I'll admit I haven't read all the way into the original legislation and regulations that they're talking about, but the Biden administration is cracking down on what they call junk fees. And of course, they're doing it right before the midterms, and that's something that's going to save you money. So MSN says the, uh, the administration announced new measures intended to crack down on so-called junk fees charged by banks and other companies as part of a wider effort to try to lower costs for Americans in the highest inflation in decades. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau issued new guidance on Wednesday, making it illegal for banks to charge overdraft fees when at the time of purchase, the bank website or ATM balance showed the customer had enough money in their account. The agency also made it unlawful for banks to charge a fee to a customer who deposits a check and then and then that check bounces. Now that one on a moral level, I, I, I get that one. Like someone writes you a check, you put it in your account, that check bounces and you get charged a fee because of that. I understand that that more than likely was not your fault unless you were running some type of a check cashing scheme potentially. Uh, which uh, which a lot of people do. I understand that. I still think that the market needs to work that out on its own. The overdraft fee thing, I think, is just completely ridiculous. Now, some of these, uh, the examples I've seen them talk about, they've got a little bit of some points on. Some of the things they're talking about are when there's a, an error in the system and it says that you have money and you don't, or there's a way that they are doing their accounting and it's telling you that you have money and you don't. I can see that, but I, I don't know if you guys ever tried before. I mean, there for a while, I had a lot of overdraft fees and um, I've always been able to call and get those reversed. Now they did ask me whether or not I was white beforehand, so that could have helped, I guess, but I've always been able to call and get those fees uh, reversed. And then we'll talk about, yeah, Bailey, we'll talk about the uh, junk fees related to 
airlines and hotels because that's a, a whole other situation that they're trying to take care of. The other thing with the overdraft fees, and I see this all the time, is that it's just wrong for banks to charge you an overdraft fee when you go over. Is it not wrong for you to take money from the bank that, that you don't have and have them front payment for something when you don't have the money? Is that not also wrong? Does there not need to be an incentive set up for you to make sure that you don't do that? Now, are they doing it for that incentive or are they doing it so they can take advantage of the fees? The answer is it doesn't matter. The actual answer to that is don't spend money that you don't have. You're not the U.S. government. I'm sorry. You don't spend money that you don't have and you don't tell the bank that they have to front whatever it is. The other thing when they talk about your bank said that you had the enough money and then you ended up buying it and you got an overdraft fee. What if you have some type of a subscription and it gets pulled out later that day? Is that on the bank to know that you have a subscription that's getting pulled out today or that you signed up for a seven day free trial on something and it's going to get billed today. And so it's going to take out that money. I don't think it's on them to know that, but when you swipe the card, your bank account said that you had that money because that transaction hadn't come out yet. I'd be interested to see what they're going to do on that whole thing. So the overdraft fees, there are some things that they're talking about that are right where there's an actual error in the system and it's telling you the wrong amount. And then there's the whole moral argument that overdraft fees are just wrong in general, which I think is ridiculous. Nina Turner keeps saying that, I mean, by keep saying, I mean, she tweets about it like eight times a day. It's become her new cancel student loans thing. Overdraft fees didn't exist until 1990. She says it, it, it at least twice a day. Overdraft fees didn't exist until 1990. The implication is that this is just a new thing. Banks have existed for a long time. This is a new thing that came in and they're just taking advantage of people. What actually happened was that's when debit cards started to pop into the market and got more widespread adoption. Now, it's not anywhere close to what it is right now, but I looked up when did debit cards become widely used, and the very first article I pulled up cited 1990. So why did the overdraft fees come in at that time? Because people just started swiping cards. Before that, they were using checks or they had cash checks we already had the return check fees she's talking about overdraft fees we had fees and laws for writing bad checks at that time the overdraft fees came in with debit cards so that's a pretty easy one to talk about right there now let's go into some of the other fees and we're not going to go super detailed into the other fees but i do want to play this short clip from our president Joseph R. Biden. Here we go. Decision. Some airlines, if you want six more inches between you and the seat in front, you pay more money. But you don't know it until you purchase your ticket. Look, folks, these are junk fees. They're unfair and they hit marginalized Americans, the hardest, especially low-income folks and people of color. They benefit big corporations. Not con Okay, the example that he uses is that if you want and he says it i mean he says it in a good way if you want six more inches between you and the seat that's in front of you 
you you end up paying more money and you might and you might what he means is you upgrade to a different class and what he doesn't really mean to say but what it sounded like to me the first time i heard it was uh well mainly people of color don't understand that when you upgrade your seat on an airplane that that's going to cost more money than the other seats uh you think i'm pretty sure everyone knows that now there are tons of fees you see a price and then when you go to pay for something whoa way more than what the price was i just got tickets to something the other day the fees were more than the tickets. Am I upset about that? Yeah, but did they show it to me before I bought it? Yeah, and I still bought the tickets. So it's not as if the charge just magically shows up in your account afterwards and they were hiding them from you. Uh, they show you the charge before you check out. And a lot of these charges are government fees. Now, there's a lot they'll charge, a, they'll put a cleaning fee. A lot of what they've done is they're showing you the price that they are charging you for this specific service. And then they work in like all the other stuff that the business does to make sure that you can actually get that service. And, uh, and, and I get that that's kind of weird and I'm sure it's just a marketing thing. It's a way for them to show that they have lower prices. I get it. A lot of the other fees are government fees, though. They'll show your state, local taxes, your excise fees. A lot of stuff on the line items have to do with regulatory charges. You get your NSA charge on the ticket. And I've got a sneaking feeling that the government does not want people seeing those fees. Because a lot of them are government charges. And they want them to just be worked in to the price, just like when you go buy something at Walmart, they don't say, well, here's our corporate tax fee and here was our, uh, this is what we paid for uh, fuel tax to ship stuff here and this is what we pay for our imports and all of that. And so your bill's gonna be twice as much. Like they don't want that. But airlines and hotels, they've started doing that because they deal with a lot of fees all the time, uh, extra fees from the government. So I understand what they're doing. And the government doesn't like it. They don't want you to say, here's what we would charge if the government wasn't charging a whole bunch of extra stuff on top of this. That's like worst case scenario for people that are in the government. It's free to actually see how much extra the government is charging you when you buy something. But they want to get rid of that. That's a hidden fee. The other part is they're going to do this to save people money. These are expenses that the business incurs. The only thing that will happen is that the price that you see is just going to be way higher and it's going to reflect all of those things. Things aren't magically going to get cheaper. Now they make one economic argument, which is that it makes it harder for people to shop around for different prices. And I get that, that is a valid argument. But they act like these expenses are just extra things on top. And if they pass this law or this regulation or whatever it is, that businesses are just going to stop charging for all of these things and you're just going to pay whatever the uh, Southwest website says the ticket costs and you're not going to no, the price is just going to go up and it's going to encompass everything else. But the government gets with it once because that price is going to conceal how much of it was were government fees, things like that. So we see what they're doing. They're not actually going to reduce costs for people because it's just going to be worked into the prices and it goes along the lines of a lot of other stuff that we see. So we're coming up on the end of the show here. Um, 
I did want to do a quick show. Maybe it went a little bit longer than what I expected. I want to tell you one more little thing that was annoying from uh, from MSNBC today. And by the way, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's listening. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough month. It's been a busy month. We went to Miami. We did tons of interviews. I'm still releasing those. I've talked to a lot of really cool people this week uh, doing interviews. Uh, go listen to those. And uh, I know that you're going to, I know you're going to enjoy them, especially that Michael White guy, the beard white. That was, that was a really good interview. That guy was really cool. I was, I was impressed for sure. And the, the one that I did yesterday also was, uh, was great too. Sahar Tartak, that was, that was good. She's someone who stood up to her school when they wanted to bring in someone to speak about uh, systemic racism and she didn't really even have any political ideology. She just wanted to ask questions about what specifically, what specific claims they were going to make before she signed off on it because she was the treasurer. And she had to sign off on paying the group to come speak. And she asked questions about it and everyone lost their minds. And so now she's going around speaking. So just thanks to everyone who's listening. Um, the actual, the, the plays on the podcast uh, are, are up. A lot of interviews. So, so that's good up 10% over last month right now. Maybe it has to do with Charlie being gone. I don't know. Just kidding. Way more fun when Charlie's here. Okay, the last just little thing, and this is a, it's a ridiculous point to make, but I don't like it when I see people lying about stuff or misusing data. And I just saw a blatant misuse of data, and I, I can't stand for it. I can't stand around why people are blatantly misusing data. MSNBC said that lies about welfare brought us the MAGA movement. Now they have this long article. It's got like 60 paragraphs in it. Three paragraphs were about welfare. The rest of it was all about racism, stuff like that. And how lies about welfare brought us the MAGA movement. That's actually why people are so upset. That could be partially true. Uh, welfare, you could say. Um, how the government taking money from you that you worked really hard for and giving it to other people brought us the MAGA movement. I don't think that's exactly what got Donald Trump elected because I couldn't tell you what the guy's principles are. But whatever. Here's what they say. As we barrel toward Election Day, Democrats are struggling to figure out what their overall message to voters should be. Should it be a focus on the economy and the struggles working class Americans face? Should more attention be paid to democracy dying? Or are they underplaying the concerns about the blatant racism on display from the Republican Party? It's an MSNBC article, okay? They say that Americans are basing their actions on decades of lies that have actually worsened the daunting economic conditions. Since the Reagan era, Republicans have told voters that the social safety net programs, which will be only more useful as inflation makes essential items more expensive. I like how they say that. The social safety net programs, which are going to be more useful as we have more and more inflation, literally drawing no conclusions to how we have the inflation or the fact that the money that goes out on the welfare program has to be taken from people before it's handed out in one way or another, either straight out of your check or in inflation or through borrowing, which is going to come out as well. But somehow, once again, like I talked about earlier, we're just going to get something for nothing. Uh, okay, we'll let that slide. That's enough on that. So... The Reagan era Republicans have told voters that social safety net programs are stealing tax dollars from hardworking whites and giving them to black and Hispanic Americans. 
But in reality, white Americans make up the largest share of Medicaid and food stamp recipients, as the Washington Post pointed out. Now, what they, the argument that they are making is that the reason people are upset about welfare programs is actually out of racism. Interestingly enough, this is a point that I made to Dan Fishman. He used to be the executive director of the Libertarian Party. And I told him, hey, people who want to reduce the welfare programs or get rid of them altogether, they will be called racist and bigots. And this is a good example of that. You see, the reason that people want to reduce welfare is because of racism. It's actually just a lot of white people who have been lied to. And it's white people who have been lied to about how they're paying in a bunch of money and it's going to black and Hispanic people. And to disprove that argument, they use one sentence to disprove that argument. In reality, white Americans make up the largest share of Medicaid and food stamp recipients. Now, I am in no way making this point to uh, say that different races are mooching off of white people or whatever. But as I said, I can't stand by while people misuse data to suit their own needs. I just, I just can't watch it happen. White people are the biggest recipients. They're also the biggest portion of the population as well. And so when you look at the recipients, by the way, and I've, let me see, I'm going to pull this up real quick on my other screen. Open this in new tab. Let me bring this up. White people make up 62% of the country. Hispanic is 16.9. Black, according to this, is 12.6. And then we got Asian down to 5.2, all that. And so when you say that, well, white people make up the biggest recipients, like I said, I don't care about the demographics on this. But if you're going to use that and say that it's actually white people that are pulling, well, then, okay, we'll have to have that conversation, I guess, if you're going to push the issue. Because the issue is when it comes to Medicaid, white people receive 43% of the Medicaid money. Food stamps, white people receive 36.2%. And cash assistance, a little bit lower, 276 Now, in all those except for cash assistance, white people do, in fact, make up the biggest share of the welfare money that goes out, but they also make up the biggest share of the people. If you were going to make this argument back at it, you could say, well, proportionate, you know, to the population, it's much lower. And so I know why they're using this. I know why they want to just say one sentence and push back on this entire argument. But it's not the case. And the fact is, you don't have to say that it's out of racism. People don't like it when their money is taken that they worked really hard for and it's given to other people. End of sentence. Maybe some people do. Even if you do, admit it, it kind of bothers you a little bit. Maybe you could help people on your own with that money. And that's what people are upset about. And plus, we know a bunch of the money gets wasted. But it As we see all the time, they're going to use racism. They're going to use democracy dying. And now we got ableism, of course. If you criticize someone, it's ableism. And all the other isms that there are out there, except for narcissism, apparently, to try and win this election, to maintain power, because that's going to save democracy and prevent racism and all that. 
the point of today's show is don't worry too much about the midterms because nothing's going to change. <laughs> so have a good day. <laughs> Listen, if you enjoyed today's show, tell a friend, tell a family member, and tell the children that they need to follow and subscribe. Go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that. Turn the bell on so you get notifications when today's video comes out. We pretty much put out a video for every single episode that we do. So you can watch and you can see our pretty faces and you can see the charts and graphs that I love putting up here because it's my favorite thing to talk about. So you want to make sure you go to our YouTube. TikTok's kind of starting to spin up a little bit again. Nowhere close to what it used to be. But y'all are doing a great job fighting the algorithms. And I even see people commenting about releasing us from TikTok jail. So we really do appreciate you on that one. Folks, I appreciate you for being here. If you do all the stuff I just talked about, dumb bleep of the mother trucking week is tomorrow. And holy crap, it's been a really dumb week. If you do all that stuff, I'll be right back here again tomorrow. Till then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. <laughs>